0: Michael Elias said that this offseason would be liftoff for the Orioles. But what exactly does that mean? We'll answer that question and others coming up on this Mailbag Monday edition of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, November 14th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, it is another Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast. I'll be answering your Orioles mailbag questions, nine of them to be exact on this episode, talking about Different free agents the Orioles could go after. What their plan is this offseason. Could they look overseas as well? And much, much more about this upcoming Orioles offseason. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, Monday through Friday, new episodes of the pod five days a week. And we continue five days a week for about the next month through The winter meetings as well will be Monday through Friday, wherever you listen, and right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we thank you if you submitted a mailbag question. Again, you can submit mailbag questions for future Mailbag Monday episodes by tweeting them at Orioles or at ConorNookum underscore on Twitter. You can also direct message either account. The DMs are open. If you don't want to use Twitter, that's fine. It seems to be falling apart these days. You can leave a comment in the comment section of any of our videos on the Orioles YouTube channel. You can also email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. And you can also leave a mailbag question in the review section on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. Leave a five-star rating. And in your review, leave that question And we'll get to it on a future Mailbag Monday episode. But let's jump right into it. Nine questions, all from our listeners here on today's Mailbag Monday. And again, if you submitted a question already and it's not being answered on this episode, don't worry. Our next Mailbag Monday, we will get to your question. But let's kick it off with a question from JR on Twitter, who asks, which Orioles prospects should be considered untouchable in trades this offseason? And it's an interesting question because... I think if you asked a lot of different people, whether they'd be people in the O's organization, whether it be kind of national media people, whether it be fans of the Orioles, differ in opinion, some people would name off 10, 12, 14 names. Some people would say no one. I honestly think truly untouchable that they would never be involved in any trade. The Orioles would make this offseason. I really only think there's two players, and I think it's Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez. I really think that's it. I mean, you look at those two guys, you had, you know, the top prospect in baseball last year, you still have the top pitching prospect in baseball in Grayson Rodriguez. And both those guys are going to be ready to make a serious impact starting on opening day 2023. And they're going to be good players that you don't want to trade away. Any other prospect in the system, I think still has more question marks than these guys. Yes. If the right deal came up, maybe I'd think about including DL Hall. Yes, if the right deal came up, heck, if they could go get an ace. I'd think about including a guy like Jackson Holiday or Colton Cowser or even Heston Kerstad. Who, shout out to him, just won the Arizona Fall League MVP, which is just amazing for him, amazing for the Orioles. But if a team came calling and we were getting a stud at the major league level, I'd include Heston Kerstad. I'd include Jordan Westburg or Joey Ortiz or Kobe Mayo, you know, Kyle Stowers, Terrence, you know, whoever it may be. I've talked about this. I am. Open to including a lot of those guys. I think Henderson and Rodriguez, my only two guys who I just wouldn't include for anything this offseason. Second question comes from Vivek on Twitter, who asks kind of the big question of today's episode What is your definition of liftoff? This, of course, alluding to what Mike Elias said near the end of the regular season this year when he talked about how this offseason was going to be liftoff for the Orioles. They were going to significantly increase payroll and basically be a player in the offseason to put together a winning team heading into 2023. But there's been a lot of different definitions of liftoff, and I think one of the reasons this question comes here on today's mailbag is a quote that Mike Elias had earlier last week. Rocco wrote about it over on massinsports.com, and here's kind of the full quote. We've got some, this is from Mike Elias, we've got some positional flexibility with our current group and that makes for a scenario where we don't have a very specific recipe of which positions the players have to come in. We're going to be looking for pitching help, but everyone is, and that's going to be competitive as well. And also, I think that we need to be mindful that we're not going to go from 0 miles an hour to 60 miles an hour in one offseason. We've got to build the team and build the payroll in a methodical and strategic fashion. But I'm very encouraged and hopeful and optimistic that we're going to make some significant steps forward in that regard in this offseason. And I hope that it will add to our playoff chances and increase our chances of making the playoffs in this difficult division. Now, there's a lot of positives to take out of that quote, saying the Orioles are ready to spend more and bring in better players. But the quote about, you know, we're not going to go from zero to 60 in one offseason does make you want to pump the brakes a little bit on the earlier liftoff quote from Mike Elias. So for me, what liftoff would look like in this Orioles offseason, I really put down three steps that would show the Orioles are really trying to lift off this year. Number one is a big increase in payroll. I would say close to doubling the payroll. Now that may not happen. And some of that is because, you know, where the money was spent last year, but the payroll last year settled in by the end of the year at 65 million. So doubling it would be to 130 million. Now I understand that about 20 of that 65 million was being paid to Chris Davis last year, who of course did not play a game for the Orioles after retiring the year before. So I get that. Now you can say a happy medium, Payroll has to at least be over 100 million on opening day next year. I think at the very least it has to be over 100 million. If they did get to 130, if they did fully double it from last year, that would still only put them 21st in payroll if you went by the 2022 numbers. Again, 130 million. Does that seem like a lot? Maybe compared to, you know, what the Orioles have spent over the last 3 years or so, right around 60 million. But it would still put them twenty-first. Even just a hundred million would still put them in the bottom five in payroll in baseball. So saying double the payroll sounds like a lot, but it's really not compared to the rest of baseball. They at least need to get to a hundred, and I really think doubling it to one hundred thirty would be a great start. You know, that's still only you know you take out the Chris Davis money, you're basically looking at at eighty more million dollars you're spending for the year next year. Yeah, that would take a lot of players, but go get some guys. So that's why I say at the very least. It needs to cross 100 million. Number two, that in terms of specific signings, they need to sign at least one legitimate major league good starting pitcher. This is a guy better than a Jordan Lyles, and a guy who is not just going to come in and eat innings for you and pitch every fifth day, but a guy who's going to make a serious difference. And then at least I would say two legitimate hitters. Now I would like one of them to be you know one of the big four shortstops. If it's not, you could still say it's liftoff, but two legitimate big league hitters. You know, guys that fall into that category like Jose Abreu and Jock Peterson, for example. Those are two legitimate all-star big league hitters who still really produce and still both produced in 2022 that would take some salary to get them here and would help this lineup. So I think at least one starting pitcher and two hitters shows liftoff. And then my number three thing, just being willing to trade prospects to get big leaguers and impact big leaguers. Now, if the Orioles go through the offseason and they don't end up trading, you know, a, a Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, Colton Kalzer package for a legit ace starting pitcher, I'm going to be a little disappointed. But I think you could still call it liftoff if they don't do that if they spend money. But what I would like to see is at least a trade this offseason that involves the Orioles giving up at least a prospect for at least a big league caliber player who's going to be on their opening day roster in 2023. They have to show that they're willing to trade. And specifically, it's got to be a guy from their top 30 prospects. You know, knowing they have this depth, they have arguably the best system in baseball to trade from that depth and go get big league talent. I think those are the three steps that would show liftoff, at least to me, for this Orioles offseason. Third question comes from Mark via email who said, Basically, you know, he, he sent a good email kind of talking through, you know, the Orioles payroll back in the in the mid-90s when they were going to the playoffs and basically said, what has to happen for the Orioles to spend like it's 1996 again? Because if you go back to 1996, the Orioles who, you know, had a real chance in 96 and 97 to get to the World Series and back-to-back years, in 1996, the Orioles had the second-highest payroll in all of baseball. Only the New York Yankees spent more money than the Baltimore Orioles in 1996. And that is under the same owner. Peter Angelos was still the owner in 96, and he was spending like that. Now, it's good to note that the Orioles spent just over $55 million that year. The Yankees spent about $61 million as a total payroll. The Orioles this year spent $65 million, and they were 29th in payroll. In 96, they spent $55 million, and they were second in payroll. So we know the payroll has gone up. And the $55 million they spent in 1996... Approximately that would be the equivalent of about 98 million dollars in payroll today, which again would still put the Orioles in the bottom five of baseball. So spending has gone up above even inflation and you know generally what happens in you know a difference, you're looking at 25 plus years at this point. Now, Peter Angelos, Angelos family, you know, net worth close to three billion, they've got the money to bring in these players. And while I mention that ninety-eight million dollar number. The Orioles have spent much more than that in the recent past. I mean, the Orioles have been almost likely to spend that money. And I'll talk about this in a bit, but they spent 142 and $143 million back-to-back years in 2017 and 2018. They were in the top half of baseball in payroll those two years. So they're willing to spend that. This exact ownership group is willing But to get back to what they were in 96, and part of Mark's question was about how, you know, up and down that Orioles lineup, they had all-stars, they would go and get guys like Roberto Alomar, and, you know, even going to get a guy like Albert Bell, and, you know, adding these players to their lineup time and time again to just put, you know, veteran stars on the team. For the Orioles to spend like that and look like that again, they'd need to spend some legitimate money in free agency, be willing to part with their best prospects via trade to get some big league players. And we get that contracts are are much higher paid now, but the Orioles would have to be up with the times at this point, money-wise, to do that. And the Angelos have shown in the past they could spend that money. But with the fighting and the lawsuit that we'll talk about in a bit, Maybe it would need to be the Angeloses are out and there's a new ownership group in here for them to really spend, you know, the top five of baseball like they were doing in 96. And again, it's a different world. Those payroll numbers at the top of baseball are nearing 300 million instead of the 61 million where the Yankees yet led baseball in 96. But the O's have the money. Every owner has the money. It's just about doing it. And it might take another group at this point with how messy the Angelos family is. But we got six more questions to get to here on this mailbag episode and another one coming up next about payroll as well that we will get to. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From the NFL on Sundays, college football on Saturday, both of those seasons, kind of winding down, especially college football as well. Then you got the NBA every night, NHL every night, and college basketball started last week. You got games all over the place. You can get every line, all the odds at betonline.net. And they've got esports, and of course, they've got soccer as well. We are less than a week away from the start of the World Cup. Get all the lines on every game at BetOnline. If you love sports podcasts, we hope you do. If you're listening to this one, you can find those at BetOnline. As well. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. So, we're back here on a Mailbag Monday edition of the Locked On Orioles podcast, answering your Orioles questions. And we'll jump right back into it. Our fourth question of the day comes from Vince via email, who asks, Basically, in as many words, kind of talked about, you know, the Orioles payroll and how low it's been the last couple of years and being worried that even with what Mike Elias has said, that they're not going to up at this offseason. And his big question in this email was, are you worried that the Orioles could end up operating like the Rays, the Athletics, the Guardians and so forth moving forward? And. If you're not familiar with what these teams do, well, those are teams that are consistently in the bottom 10 in payroll in Major League Baseball. Now, they all have very, very good player development systems in place. They're able to find, you know, kind of cheap talent, get a lot of bang for their buck, whether it's via trades or via, you know, under the radar free agent pickups. And those teams continue to compete. Now, the athletics Completely tore it down last offseason. They didn't compete, but the you know the last decade or so they had been competitive. We know the Rays are in the playoffs every year, and we saw the Guardians win their division and you know get to a Game Five with the Yankees in the ALDS this year, and they did not spend a lot of money. And even Vince was a little worried in this question because he talked about how you know those teams can push you know near ninety to almost hundred million on their payroll, and the Orioles you know without Chris Davis spent about forty ish million. In 2022, And I get it. But what I will say is, even if the liftoff that Michael Elias is talking about is not, you know, a big bump to middle of the pack, you know, $150 million plus in payroll, the Orioles are going to spend more this offseason. And they're going to have a much higher payroll on opening day next year than they've had in the past couple of years. 2021, they were last in payroll, $59 million. Last year, they were 29th. Second to last with $65 million. And they've been near the bottom since 2019, since Michael Elias took over, started the rebuild, and just tore this roster down. But as I alluded to a little bit answering the last question about, you know, what do the Orioles have to do to, to get back to what it was like in 96, with the Angelos's at the helm, the Orioles have spent money. You know, you go back to the Buck-Dan Duquette years, and once the Orioles, you know, really showed it was go time, especially after they won the division in 2014, the O's really started to spend. In 2017... The Orioles' opening day payroll was $142 million. That was 10th in baseball. They were a top 10 payroll team in baseball in 2017. That was coming off getting back to the postseason in 2016. They had a lot of veteran guys close to free agency, so they're making more money in arbitration. They had given out contracts to guys like, you know, Baldo Jimenez was still on the books, and you had guys... Like Matt Wieters, you know, sticking around or just coming off the books. And, you know, you had guys like Mark Trumbo getting extensions. And, you know, Manny Machado was getting more and more money. But they were at $142 million the very next year. 2018. The Orioles ended up in last place that year. They won 47 games. Now, they tore down the roster in midseason. That's why. But the Orioles... Had an opening day payroll of 143 million in 2018. Now that dropped them down to 14th in baseball. They didn't quite keep up with the increase, but they did spend a million dollars more the next year. Now that's where it's peaked off. That was the highest opening day payroll since the Angeloses have owned the team. Was 143 million. In 2018, and then really I would call the 142 and 17 the highest because it's the second highest number and it was 10th, which they hadn't really been since the 90s in the top 10 in payroll. So what that tells me is at least the Angelo's family, you would think, willing to spend that type of money again. Now, if you you know you go with inflation, the 142 million from 2017, that would be about 160 million dollars today. A 160 million dollar payroll in today's terms, would make the Orioles at least competitive. $160 million? That would once again put them 10th in baseball if you line them up according to the 2022 opening day payrolls. That would put them 10th. Now, are the Orioles going to you know add $100 million of payroll this offseason? Probably not. It's tough to do that in one offseason. The, the Rangers tried last year, but it is tough to do. But they could get close because they've been willing to pay the money the issue obviously is, A, the Orioles have a great player development system in place with Mike Elias and Sigma Dell and Eve Rosenbaum and Matt Blood and Kobe Perez and everyone that works in that department. They are getting towards the Guardians and raised levels of player development. You know, Eve Rosenbaum called them a player development machine at this point. So if you have an ownership group that has gotten used to over the last four years really not paying anybody... They have gotten used to just pocketing the revenue sharing. And they are very much infighting right now. Between John and Louie and their mom and all the lawsuits going on among the Angelos family at the moment. When you add that with the fact that... I think the Orioles are built to, if they decided to, be successful with the Rays and Guardians model. Because... So far, in a a smaller sample size than those teams have, but because they are producing a lot of young talent, bringing in a lot of cheap talent on waivers, turning them into better relievers, that's why the Orioles had such a great bullpen this season, developing prospects to get better and better, you know, having a a top-five system every year, that's what the Rays and Guardians do. And they've won divisions like that, and they've gotten deep into the playoffs. They've both gotten to the World Series like that. Now, neither of them has won a World Series like that, but they've each gotten there. The Orioles should strive for more though. They have an ownership group that's shown they're willing to pay more than, you know, Cleveland and Tampa's has in the past. But with all the lawsuits and all the fighting, I'm a little worried. Because again, I don't think they'll spend 60 million every year. But I'm a little worried, you know, they won't even touch $100 million on next year's payroll. And they'll still be, you know, in the bottom 10 in baseball in payroll. And they'll try to be more of the penny-pinching teams that win with player development, win on the edges. And if they're winning, yeah, it's going to be great to see the Orioles get back to the postseason. But it's definitely held the Rays and the Guardians back. I mean, you look at the Rays this year. You know, they get to the the wildcard round and, and they get swept and they don't score a run in their two playoff games and they're out. You know, those teams have a lot of flaws, despite the fact that they've each gotten to the World Series in the last decade. I don't want the Orioles to be that. I want them to have that player development system, but to also be willing to spend that money on top of it to get to that next level, similar to what the Astros are doing right now. And of course, the Astros team, oh, what did they just do? They just won another World Series. But I'm a little worried that they could operate like the Rays, A's, and Guardians. Maybe not because it's exactly what the owners want to do but because the owners are so wrapped up in this lawsuit and it's something the Orioles could do with success because the player development team they have, I'm a little worried. And I'm just kind of hoping this Angelos lawsuit leads to a sale that gets the team in better hands, willing to spend more money and keeps them in Baltimore. Do I think they'll up the payroll? Yes. Am I worried it won't be a huge up because of this lawsuit? Yeah, I'm worried about that as well. Fifth question of the day comes from Zach on Twitter, who asks, Would you rather sign Xander Bogarts or Dansby Swanson to a long-term deal? Now, this is a good question. These are two of the big four shortstops available on the market this offseason. Of course, Trey Turner and Carlos Correa are the other two. Bogarts versus Swanson is interesting. Let's kind of do a comparison here. Now, Xander Bogarts opted out of his deal. Dansby Swanson just didn't get offered an extension by the Braves. So Bogarts, 30 years old. Swanson is 29. Defensively, Swanson's been better throughout his career, but Xander Bogarts has been bad and then had a good defensive year, although it might be a blip on the radar. So Swanson is younger and brings better defense. Now, offensively, you give it to Xander Bogarts. He had a 134 WRC plus this year, which means he was 34% better than the league average hitter. Swanson had just a 116 WRC plus this season. And Bogarts, five consecutive years of a WRC plus of 129 or higher. That is some elite hitting. Meanwhile, Swanson had a 99 WRC plus in 2021. Basically means he was a league average hitter just last year. And Swanson's best season was maybe this year. And he still wasn't, you know, a world beater. He's got a much worse history offensively. Now he does have 22 plus homers in three straight years. Whereas Bogarts only hit 15 bombs this year. And coming to Camden Yards would make that even worse. But Bogarts doesn't strike out a lot. He's got a solid walk rate. I think easily Xander Bogarts is the better player right now, even though he's a year older. I think he would help the Orioles more. And another thing right here you have to look into, Dansby Swanson is not vaccinated. Xander Bogarts is. If that's still a factor next year when the Orioles you know, go to Toronto seven or eight times, you don't want to be without your stud starting shortstop. So that's something to factor in as well. Now, both of them have qualifying offers attached to them, which means the Orioles would have to give up an early draft pick to sign each of them. And according to MLB trade rumors, the projections for each of their contracts has Dansby Swanson at seven years, $154 million. That's $22 million per year. They have Xander Bogarts at seven years, $189 million. That's $27 million per year, so $5 million more per year for Xander Bogarts. I think he's easily that much better, if not more than that. Than Swanson, I would take Xander Bogarts every day of the week over Dansby Swanson. Sixth question of the mailbag comes from Joseph via YouTube, who asks, could Miguel Sano be a good fit in Baltimore? Now, Sano, the 29-year-old kind of DH slash first baseman who had the Minnesota Twins decline His $14 million team option for the 2023 season, making him a free agent. Now, Snow barely played this year. He tore his meniscus back in April, only ended up playing 20 games, 71 plate appearances with the Twins this year. He was absolutely awful. He went 5-for-60 with 25 strikeouts before the injury this year. Just looked completely cooked. The Twins easily declined his option. Now, he did have a 112 WRC plus in 2021 and 135 games played. But 135 games was by far the most games he had ever played in a season in his career. I think the previous high was like 110, so he's not exactly the most durable player. And, you know, in terms of off the field, there are some sexual assault allegations that came through against Miguel Sano back in 2017. Those are things you have to consider as well. I would not want Miguel Sano on this team, and I don't think the Orioles want him on this team either for a multitude of reasons, so I don't think he'd be a good fit in Baltimore. We've got three more questions to answer here on today's Locked on Orioles mailbag episode, looking at some starting pitching on the market and looking at the qualifying offer as well. That's all coming up next. So we're back here on a Mailbag Monday edition of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Three more questions to answer all coming from you, the listeners. Our seventh question of the day comes from Chris on YouTube, who asks, If the Orioles could sign any starting pitcher, who would you want it to be this offseason? Well, Chris, I think the easiest answer here is Jacob deGrom. He is a free agent. He is the best pitcher in baseball when he is healthy. I know he's 34 and about to be 35. I don't care. I want Jacob deGrom. When he's on the mound, there is nobody better in baseball. I kind of doubt the Orioles are going to get him. I think the Mets are going to give him whatever he wants to come back. So I have a couple more pitchers I'll throw out. Kind of in the... Tier just below DeGrom in terms of money-wise, give me Chris Bassett. I think most people think he's going to make around $20 million a year on this contract. I know he wasn't you know, lighting the world on fire with the Mets this year, but he had a good year coming off, you know, a great couple of years with the athletics. He's still young. I'll take Chris Bassett. And then if you gave me my pick from kind of that next tier of pitchers, I'll take Sean Mania. You know, he could only cost about, you know, 12, 13, $14 million a year for a guy who, despite some struggles in San Diego this year, looked like an ace for a while in Oakland before they traded him to the Padres. He's still pretty young as well. I would take Sean Mania from that group. Next question comes from Nika via Twitter, who asked, do you think the Orioles will go after Kodai Senga? So first of all, if you're asking who is Kodai Senga, well, he's one of the two or three kind of stars that are going to most likely come over from Asia and sign major league contracts this offseason. Now, Senga might be the best of the bunch. He's a 30-year-old right-handed pitcher coming from the professional league in Japan where he has been dominant throughout his career really since he was 18 years old this season he pitched to a 1.89 ERA in 148 innings over in Japan it's in terms of leagues in the world for baseball it is the second Best league, second highest competitive league behind Major League Baseball in all the world is still a a very high level of talent, somewhere between Triple A and the majors is kind of where most people put the talent level. But a 1.89 ERA at 148 innings, 10 Ks per nine, just three walks per nine. He's got a fastball that's you know kind of sitting 96. He's touched up to 102 before on the pitch. He has an absolutely devastating splitter, which is his go-to pitch from the right side. Also has a slider and a curveball as well. Kind of worked out of the bullpen early in his career, then moved to a starter in 2017 and has been a dominant ace starter since then. I know some people are a little worried about the fastball shape. You know, it doesn't really, in terms of the spin rate and the shape, play up. as kind of a swing and miss pitch up in the zone, which is the most popular fastball at this point. But because the splitter is so good, he has solid command of his other breaking pitches, he's going to be a really good pitcher in Major League Baseball, I think. Fangraphs projects him to get about a four-year, $60 million contract in free agency this offseason in the States. I think the Orioles should be all over Kodai Senga. I think he's probably not an ace in the big leagues, but I think he's a great number three starter to have in your rotation. And for $15 million a year, a guy who's pitched a lot, he's a veteran with good stuff, and you know it already, go get him. I think go get him. I think he could be a great add for the Orioles. And the last question, which comes from Kara via email, asking, should the qualifying offer scare the Orioles off from any free agents this This is a good question to finish off with, because if you're not familiar with the qualifying offer, it was something that had a chance to go away in this new CBA, but it did not. So basically, when a player becomes a free agent, the team that he was previously on, they can offer him the qualifying offer. Now, this year, the qualifying offer is a one year, about $19.5 million contract. If the player accepts that offer, they obviously come back to their current team for one more year, and then become a free agent the next year. If they do not accept the qualifying offer, they become a free agent, but they have a little bit of something attached to them. The team that ends up signing a player who has the qualifying offer attached to them has to give up a pretty high draft pick to the player's previous team. So for example, Trey Turner has a qualifying offer on him. If the Orioles do sign Trey Turner, they would have to give up either their second or third pick in the 2023 draft over to the Los Angeles Dodgers, basically as collateral for signing Trey Turner. So we know how good Mike Elias and his staff are in the draft. We know how much they love getting draft picks. And yes, I do think it will come into question. And if there's a player who the Orioles may be deciding between two free agents, like they're deciding between, let's use Tyler Anderson, for example, had a great year with the Dodgers. He has the qualifying offer attached to him. If they're deciding between him and and Sean Mania, And they feel like they're both kind of on the same foot. Both will cost about the same. But Mania does not have the qualifying offer, and Anderson does. I think it could be something that puts them over the top to more aggressively pursue Mania, so they don't have to give up the draft pick. But if your guy is your guy, you go get him no matter what that draft pick is worth. Because, again, it won't be their first-round pick. It'll be either a you know supplemental pick or a second-round pick is what they would have to give up. Most likely going to be the Orioles' second-round pick they'd have to give up. That pick is worth much less than what, say, Trey Turner or Xander Bogarts is worth to your team. Here's kind of the names that have the qualifying offer attached to them. 14 players in total have it this offseason. Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson, Carlos Rodon, Brandon Nimmo, Chris Bassett, Tyler Anderson, and Jock Peterson are all names that I could see the Orioles being connected to who have that qualifying offer attached. So it's something they're definitely going to have to consider this offseason. But if they've identified their guy and their guy is Xander Bogarts or their guy is Carlos Rodon or their guy is Chris Bassett or even if their guy is Jock Peterson, who's maybe a, a level below those players, don't let that draft pick make you not sign him. They'll think about it. It will be certainly something that every team, including the Orioles, considers when they look at signing these players. But don't let it be the breaking point of bringing in a great major league player to help this team get to the playoffs. I think they'll consider it. I think it could be a tiebreaker But I don't think it will stop them from signing a player like Xander Bogarts, for example, or Trey Turner if the Orioles really are going to pursue one of those top shortstops. But that'll do it for today's Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast. We thank you so much for submitting your questions. Again, continue to submit them. We'll get to your questions on future Mailbag episodes. But we'll be back for four more episodes this week here on the pod. Of course, free agency is open. Really not much has happened yet. In terms of free agents, we do have a former Oriole who is on the move. Rico Garcia, who pitched for the O's some this year, has signed a minor league deal with the Oakland Athletics. So Garcia will not be back in Baltimore. We wish him all the best. But if the Orioles do make a signing or make a move here on Monday, of course, I'll have it all covered on Tuesday's episode. If not, we'll get back to our Orioles player season review series. Got a few more guys to get through from this Orioles team this year to talk about what made them tick where they struggled, and how they helped the Orioles get to 83 wins this year, and how they could help the Orioles going into 2023. But again, we'll continue that series coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, and the